This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I think people would like to see um, uh, us get back, not just to work and uh, get to a stage where safely our children go to school, but also uh, enjoy some of those pastimes, sporting in particular. Um, there have been, I know the government's had uh, constructive meetings with sports bodies to plan for athletes to resume training when it's safe to do so. Um, I can tell you that the Culture Secretary has um, also been working on a plan to get sports played behind closed doors uh, when some of the when we move to the second phase, so that's something that I can tell you we're looking at. Um, of course, we come back to the key point though, we can only do it when the medical and scientific uh, advice is that it can be done safely and sustainably, but certainly that's something under uh, active consideration. On the ball on BFM 89.9. That was UK Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab insisting that medics and scientists will dictate when competitive football returns to the UK. It's me, Ross. It's on the ball in lockdown. Still. And listen, listen, we have light at the end of the tunnel. At the end of this COVID tunnel, there is light. And I've got some gentlemen here who will discuss said light with me. Uh, say hello to Bob Holmes in lockdown. Everybody, hi. Not long to go now. Not long to go, Bob. Hang in there. Hello to Craig Wilkie as well. Good evening, everyone. You've got a panel of medics and scientists on tonight, Ross. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Nicholas Anil looks like a bush doctor or something. Yeah, I've been called an Indian porn star by at least three people. So I really don't know what to make out of that. I think the moustache has to go. Maybe over the weekend. Yeah, it's a family show, Nick. Let's just leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> we heard the UK Foreign Secretary at the start. He says the return of the Premier League would lift the spirits of the nation. But uh, I understand discussions remain ongoing. That The main sticking point, guys, is this neutral venues thing we're talking about again. Right. One of the criteria that you have to bear in mind is that uh, the modern stadia cannot be in close proximity to housing areas. So, already in the Premier League, you've narrowed it down to the Etihad, to Southampton St. Mary's, to the London Stadium, King Power in Leicester, and Brighton's Amex Stadium. Bob? Uh, yeah, uh, one or two more. There's um, St. George's Park, which is the FA um, headquarters, they, which is They've the come out and said they're not going to use lot. St. George's Park. Well, but, it's still, I think it's still on the cards if the others aren't suitable, because it is remote. Um, yeah. But anyhow, um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it, this? And it's going to be touch and go, because the um, bottom six teams in the Premier League look as if they're going to vote against it. Um, I mean, you say, we always say, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. <laughs> well, uh, you could say um, they don't want to vote uh, for their own demise. But, I mean, it's not certain. Only three go down. There's six teams there. And there's even a possibility of the one or two above them that, that are not entirely safe. So it's far from certain that, you know, those teams are going to go down. Um, but they've worked it out that if the season is cancelled they will only lose 50 million pounds. Whereas if they go ahead with this reset scheme, they could lose 200 million. So 
the, you know, yeah. that's, it's come down to that. I know. It's Money again. Point. All right, listen, more, more on the Premier League and their project restart later. Yes, as we speak to you now, the K-League is underway. More about that later. More about that later. Um, big news this week is that the Bundesliga has been given the go-ahead to resume the season. We're talking about action possibly being a week away. Uh, Angela Merkel confirmed on Wednesday the matches will take place behind closed doors. That is great news, Craig Wilkie. Yeah, it's great news. You talked earlier about lifting the spirits of the nation. It definitely lifts our spirits, I think, to get some live football coming back. Germany, as we've discussed before on the show, looks as though they're going to be leading the way on this, at least in a European context. And I think that's a credit to them in terms of how they've managed the situation generally. They, they appear as though they're ahead of the curve somewhat in terms of how they dealt with the whole virus scenario generally, and thus has put them in a position to, to get football back up and running slightly ahead of, of some others who are here nearby. I mean, we were talking last week about the Dutch league and the French league being cancelled, for instance. And now, just two weeks later, we're, we're looking at the return of, of German football. And I think, as I understand it, they are although it's going to be played behind closed doors, they will be playing in their own stadiums. Um, so I don't really see what the, what the big sticking point is in England. I know we'll come on and talk about that later on in relation to all of that. But yeah, overall, it's just great news that we're going to have some, some top-level football back on our screens very, very shortly. And congratulations to Germany for, for being first, first to get that going. Yeah, no, no surprises, Nicholas Arnil. Uh, Bayern's chief executive, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, is keen to get the, the season restarted. They are four points clear of Dortmund at the top. Nine matches left to play. Do you reckon anything could go wrong here, Nick? Um, well, on Bayern's front, uh, they seem to be uh, really steaming ahead. I think that four-point lead uh, is a comfortable enough advantage with, what, uh, nine, ten games to go. Um, but just on the context of the whole uh, Bundesliga, I think, as, as Craig mentioned, they have gone about it in an extremely organized fashion. And this is not just from a football front. It has also been from a whole government standpoint, where you look at the cases uh, of Germany versus England, where it's just a fraction of uh, the deaths uh, toll uh, that has uh, happened uh, in, in the country. And uh, they've got the cooperation of everyone, laboratories, uh, you know, the players are on board, uh, the team doctors are on board, uh, even the ultras and the supporters group have come out and said that they are not going to come out and uh, you know, gather outside stadiums uh, during match days. So it's a whole holistic effort uh, that has been initiated uh, by the Germans and it's excellent and we just hope that um, other countries would be able to somehow emulate that fashion but it all depends uh, on the situation in every country at this point. Yeah, uh, I mean, wow, German technology. Bob, the DFL said on Monday there had been 10 positive cases from their top two divisions they, they released some figures. They've done 1,724 tests carried out over two rounds amongst players and staff. Um, the, the results came back, um, three positive cases. I mean, they, they're showing the way. I mean, surely the EPL is watching and learning here, Bob. Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But um, <laughs> you, you, you can't be totally sure about this the way uh, Britain has handled or mishandled this whole thing it seemed as if they wanted to get top of the um, the pile like the Olympic medals tally somehow you know the US and the UK are right up there um, but of course 
this is a, a very, very different thing and we shouldn't really make light of it. They had more time than anybody else and they've messed it up and they've become the laughing stocks of the world. And unfortunately, the EPL is suffering because of this and it's touch and go whether they'll even vote to do it because they need 14 clubs. That's enough for the thing to go ahead. And there's 20, as we all know, and six are dead against it. So if one of those 14 should waver, then uh, the thing will be off. Yeah. So it really is coming down to a, a, on a knife edge. So we, ha we have to hope that those 14 clubs will be reassured in the subsequent days uh, by the government and the doctors, and uh, they'll be convinced that it's safe to go ahead. Back to Germany, though, <laughs> as we're talking about the Germans. Um, yeah, I mean, more, more about the EPL later, uh, much later in the show, but the German clubs have been training for a month. One player who won't be taking part, Craig Wilkie, is Solomon Kalu. He's been banned with immediate effect by Hertha Berlin because he posted a video on Facebook of him breaking physical distancing rules with his teammates. They're not the brightest bunch, are they, football players? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. Uh, we've seen a few reports such as that of footballers um, handling lockdown in different ways, shall, shall we say. And he's definitely one who's perhaps not handled it in quite the right way. It's, it's slightly ironic that he's been banned from the opportunity to get a lot closer to his teammates as football resumes now. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens on, on that score. But I think we, we should remember, actually, that it's been a very strange time for footballers everywhere, having to train in isolation, a lot of uncertainty around not just this season and when they would get back playing, but, you know, their contracts and where they might be next season and uh, what, what the league's going to look like, whether they're going to be playing in European competition, all those sorts of things. So, you know, of course, they, they come in for a lot of criticism sometimes. And yes, a lot of the top level players are in very privileged positions. They earn a lot of money. Life is quite good. But... I think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that it's been a very difficult time for them as it has been for many other people. I think I heard Diane Lovren came out and said that, you know, mentally it had really taken its, its toll of the, the kind of, because footballers are so used to this routine and being around everybody and life, life kind of goes on a, on a bit of an automation front for them. So I think it has been tough and they'll be, I think most of them will be really looking forward to just getting back out there and trying to get on with, on with the game and on with life really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick, not all the German clubs are behind the, the move to restart. Apparently, Werder Bremen are one of those clubs in opposition. That's because their Vesa Stadion uh, has been deemed not a safe place for them to play. So they're not too keen on, on, on restarting the season, understandably. Yeah, I, I can imagine uh, not only Werder Bremen, but you know, clubs and players around the world we are, after all, talking about a global health crisis and uh, nothing can be taken for granted, you know. Even though the number of uh, cases and the number of deaths are reducing um, on a daily basis, it is these footballers who are going to go out there, who are going to put their lives, and not only their lives, but their families' lives at risk when they go back home. So, you know, I can totally understand from their standpoint of not wanting to uh, adhere to uh, the Bundesliga being uh, resumed and not only in the Bundesliga, as you mentioned, in the, in the Premier League as well, you know, uh, six clubs are saying that uh, they do not want to uh, uh, go ahead uh, with, with the resumption. But it's also, 
uh, the players from various other clubs, you know, we've seen so many other well-known players like Sergio Aguero and uh, Rudiger coming out and saying that, you know, we don't feel safe to go out and play because it's not just our life that's at risk, but it's also our family's life when we go back home. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, I guess it's a collective decision that is being made by the German government uh, that has allowed uh, German football to continue. And uh, um, I, I, I really don't know how uh, Werder Bremen are going to go about with it. If, if let's say they do not want to compete, is the German association going to uh, ban them or fine them? You yeah. can't really do that because at the end of the day, lives are at stake. No, that, that's, that's a fair question. I mean, Bob, let, let's play this along. Let, let's say German League restarts on, on the 18th or whenever, or, or as, as they, they plan to. They, they complete one round of matches. In between round one and round two, one team has, I don't know, two players found positive. What happens in that situation? Wouldn't that be a nightmare all over again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, this thing is fraught with danger. It's very, very high risk, uh, even in Germany, where they seem to have it under control. But I think they have to give it a go, because otherwise the whole football industry in each country is in jeopardy. True. So they've come up with all, all these protocols. They're still fine-tuning them as, as we speak. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty safe, but of course, it's not guaranteed. There cannot be a guarantee. And the players are looking at this. Okay, they've got used to self-distancing. Well, most of them anyway. And they, they've come to terms with that. It's reasonably safe to go to a supermarket if you maintain your distance, etc., etc. But suddenly from that, you're going to be thrown into a high-contact highly physical sport where the whole point is contact i mean there's tackles there's clashes they're banging into each other there's corners free kicks set pieces i mean it's more like a rugby scrum than a football match isn't it at times in the goal mouth and they're sweating they're spitting uh, I mean, this is a it's very like different situation. Get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, it's a completely different situation to what they've been used to for the last seven or eight weeks, which has been a relatively controlled environment. Yeah. And uh, so you can understand them being a bit apprehensive about this. And they say there's going to be no goal celebrations and and all that sort of thing. But human instinct will take over, I'm sure. You're going to see all celebrations, for sure. All right. I tell you what, we're going to take a, a, a short break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Spain and what's happening over there. Uh, stay tuned. Worth a try. And he's always prepared to give it a go. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Deserved a goal, that lovely return pass. Just wide. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, on the ball in a lockdown. Craig Wilkie, Bob Holmes and Nicholas Anil in the studio. Uh, clubs in Spain last played, when was it? In February sometime. Uh, Ibar hosted Real Sociedad. Sorry, early March was the last game. And that was behind closed doors. Coronavirus in Spain has since claimed 25,000 lives since February. But the spread of the disease has slowed down 
as a result of one of the strictest lockdowns in Europe. Um, they're talking about restarting La Liga. Um, clubs apparently uh, can go back into training as well. I mean, we, we were reading about Spain and Italy and they, you wouldn't even consider football returning to Spain. But it seems that it's, it's all looking good again, Craig Wilkie. Yeah, and I mean, first and foremost, that's just a great thing on the, the health front that the situation in those countries has improved to the point that this is actually now being talked about as a, as a realistic possibility. And again, it goes back to something that we talked about previously around how fast this whole situation moves and why, as I've said before, I don't think leagues should make really binding decisions right now where think, when things are still so fluid and we're still seeing it develop on an almost daily basis. So yeah, I think it's, it's great that Spain is now in a position where it looks like football is going to be coming back soon. I know that there are still some reservations among some clubs about what that's actually going to look like and what it's going to entail. But at the end of the day, I mean, my employer decides when they're going to reopen the office based on whatever guidelines are given by, by the government and the local authorities and so on. And, and football, in a way, is, is no different to that, at least in terms of the principle. So once the league decides to go ahead and... Yes, there's a certain desperation in some places for football to get back just because of the financial imperative. But those, no league anywhere is going to go back without the proper authorization from the authorities. So once that's given, you can be sure that they will put in whatever measures are required to be in place. And so therefore, I think when that happens, the expectation on the part of everybody is that they'll have to get on with it, all yep. players included. And I expect that's what we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ibar, in fact, have become one of the first La Liga sides to publicly express concerns about the plan return. This is they, they, um, they, they're objecting the plan return to training. They, they're saying social distancing cannot be respected. What what Bob was alluding to, it's pretty impossible because football, let's face it, is a contact sport. Nicholas Anil, do, do you reckon it will come back? Exactly. Um... If, if the La Liga are going to start, yeah, of course. But at the first uh, sign of a corona-positive uh, case, uh, the opposite is going to happen, you know. They're going to have to quarantine not only just the player, but the entire team. Um, and, and that sets the whole league back a step because then you have a whole uh, fixture congestion. And uh, going back to spitting, I cannot understand how players are going to go onto the football pitch and play without spitting. It's almost second nature. You see players spitting for no apparent reason. You know, they are not, they're not committing a tackle. They're not running. Uh, but, you know, it's almost second nature. So while they may say they won't spit, you, you, you can't really predict these things. You know, when you get onto the fo football page and when you start playing, it's going to come naturally. And, you know, uh, football leagues and football clubs, the last thing they want to be associated with is to the rise of a coronavirus for people being locked down again. So it's really a catch-22 situation. Uh, but as Prick mentioned earlier, you know, it's imperative for the league to continue just from a financial standpoint, from a broadcast standpoint, from a sponsorship standpoint. You know, uh, Everyone uh, needs to get their economy going. The players need to be fed. The players have families. Everyone involved has families. So uh, the strictest measures has to be taken. But again, depending on the situation, the daily situation, if there's uh, a corona-positive case, then we're back to square one again. Uh, Bob, La Liga has said playing football will be safer than, for example, going to the supermarket or the pharmacy. 
This is a spokesperson from La Liga. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think so. Somehow, I, as I just said, um, you don't bump into people in the, in the supermarket. You don't tackle them. You don't grab them. Um, I mean, In no, those days of toilet rock shortages, though, Bob, there was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, um, the phrase uh, within spitting distance might, uh, <laughs> might be used a few times in the commentaries. Um, no, it, I mean, I can understand the concerns, but the, can, the, what strikes me about this, you, there's a bit of a pattern emerging here that the teams doing the most complaining are the teams down at the bottom of the leagues. Now, uh, am I being too cynical here? No, or no, you've got a point. They want, they want it cancelled so they don't get relegated. I think there has to be something about that in it. And, you know, the um, four of the doctors, they, they had a meeting, the, the doctors of the Premier League clubs uh, the other day, uh, 20 doctors, and over 100 questions were raised, and 96 of them were from four of the bottom clubs, doctors. So I think that, that bears out my, my point. They want this season to be over, and for, for their own selfish reasons, uh, but it could backfire, because if the whole thing comes crashing down, then they will suffer more than the, the big boys, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it, it, could, it could be self-defeating, even, even though they're taking that, that sort of line. Ibar is a small club, for example, very small club. They don't really belong in La Liga, do they? I mean, there's, you know, they, they just don't want to get relegated. Yeah, uh, apparently it's a four-step plan to restart the league. They're talking about daily testing for the virus uh, of all players. Training centers already being disinfected, will be disinfected on a regular basis, uh, subject to strict conditions, hygiene, uh, once activity resumes. It's all very well and fine, but can you imagine if, if one person, I don't know, say the broadcast crew gets it and spreads it to a team member. And then lawsuits. We, we haven't even mentioned lawsuits that could arise from this. It's crazy stuff. Well, yeah, potentially, potentially. They've got to take the risk, haven't they? Yeah, that's the thing. Because we, we talk about risk here a lot, and, and rightly. But I think there's a distinction to be made between what is a bearable and acceptable risk versus eliminating risk altogether, which, of course, as we know, is impossible. I think the point that Bob brought up before about um, the concerns of the doctors, which is understandable because they're going to have to bear greater responsibility for implementing some of these protocols and what actually, what actually happens. But again, I think as long as they're following whatever guidelines are being put in place by the health authorities, then they will protect themselves. And I know that Premier, Premier League clubs and other clubs, I'm sure in Spain and elsewhere, have had conversations with insurance companies and all the rest of it to make sure that they, they won't be held liable for, for anything like that. And, you know, any, any business runs that risk, right, when you reopen that a member of staff could contract the virus. And, and from that point of view, I don't think football is that much different, really. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, 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 look, you look at the, the European leagues versus the Asian leagues. Uh, at this point, the Korean league is about to start. Taiwanese league has already started. Um, but look at the cases in Taiwan. Look at the cases in Korea. Korea hasn't had a, a case in the last two days. Uh, uh, before that, they've had single-digit cases. 
versus the cases in Europe where Germany have continued to have hundreds of cases. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, UK is one of the highest uh, cases in, in Europe. Uh, you just compare the, the, the magnitude of both uh, continents and you see that football is still yet to go ahead. And you can understand why. It's because of, completely because of a financial standpoint, you know, and, and, and the, the interest of, of, of what the league uh, generates. Uh, but at the same time, I have to say that it, it, it's going to take a huge amount of risk. And again, if someone gets infected, it's going to tie back to the league. It's going to tie back to the Bundesliga. It's going to tie back to the La Liga. It's going to tie back to the EPL. And that is branding that these leagues do not want at this point. But again, it's a catch-22 situation. They have no choice but to go ahead with it because at this point, they have no choice. Yep. Yep, and, and let's face it, we all want football to return ASAP. Okay, we, we're going for another short break. When we come back, then Project Restart. That, that's the Premier League's working title for getting the league back on again. Next. What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end? On the ball on BFM 89.9. It is a fine goal. Fine had a fine goal. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. On the ball in lockdown. You heard about the Bundesliga. You heard about La Liga. What about the Premier League's project restart? Well, the mooted date for restart is the 8th of June. That means players have to resume full training by the 18th of May. Uh, a number of clubs have already reopened their training grounds for, for individual training uh, the last week. Bob, I mean, bearing in mind what, what we hear from Germany and all that, this is doable, the Premier League, if they're thinking, what, 8th June. Doable, right? Uh, just about, just about. Yeah, they're cutting it fine. But the hope is that the players have kept themselves reasonably fit uh, for the last two months. Uh, uh, but there's a big difference between fit and match fit. And they've only got three weeks to get themselves match fit. However, they're probably in better shape than when they come back from a normal summer break, when they let themselves go a bit. So, the, uh, yes, I think it is doable. And I think that the, um, the target is realistic. Um, I mean, they could have come back earlier. They could have tried to have come back earlier, but they've waited and waited, which has been the right thing. They've not rushed to a, to a decision like France, uh, like uh, Scotland, and like uh, Holland, uh, and cancel the season. They've kept hope alive. And uh, we may yet see the, um, the completion of a season. I think it's a bit of a long shot, but it's worth a try. Yeah. And there's a lot of money at stake, but it's not just money. It's the whole football industry we're talking about here. The survival of small clubs and youth academies and women's football and all that as well. It's not just about the big boys. Oh, yeah. All that and the spirit of the nation as well, Bob. Don't forget that. <laughs> they, oh, they, yeah, they yeah, yeah. Spirit <laughs> of our nation, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, Craig, they're talking about 40,000 tests. They've come up with that figure. They, they need 40,000 tests if they are to complete the number of matches in the EPL. This is funny. Apparently, players have to change at home or change in their cars. They can't change in the changing rooms. Uh, they will be tested 
for coronavirus twice a week. They will be screened for symptoms daily. I mean, theoretically, it all sounds fine and we are all hoping it will work, right, Craig? Some of it sounds fine and some of it sounds, frankly, a little bit ridiculous. I think in the, in the desperation now that exists around football to try and return, we've heard some really outlandish ideas of what people are looking at in terms of trying to get the game back on. So I think it was the chairman of the PFA suggested that because of potential fixture congestion, games might be less than 45 minutes per half. If that would give players a little bit more respite from uh, playing too much, which is just a preposterous idea, right? I think it was Gary Neville who suggested that maybe they could all go to Australia or somewhere like that and finish the season there because, uh, you know, go, or at least go to a country where the, the, the virus situation was more under control than, than it was in England. I mean, I'm half expecting to wake up tomorrow and read that the Premier League is in talks with Elon Musk to finish on Mars. You know, that's, the, that's the sort of <laughs> situation that we seem to be, be getting our, ourselves into. Um, but, but, but yeah, there, there is obviously going to be... Um, a lot of testing, there's going to be a lot, of, um, a lot of due diligence that the clubs have to go through in order to make this happen. And even, even as you see, when it comes to training, the, the sorts of precautions that the players are taking, we've seen a lot of pictures on social media of them all arriving in their masks and, and so on. I, I even heard about managers thinking about how they're going to communicate with their players if they have to wear a mask and, and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of logistical things that, that have to be worked through, but I think the Germans are paving the way, they're showing how it might be done and I'm sure none of these problems seem to me insurmountable. Yes, they're going to have to be thought through. Yes, they're going to have to be uh, dealt with to some extent. But I'm sure that it's possible to get 22 players on a football pitch and complete a game safely in the current circumstances. Yeah, but there's no need to like cut off five minutes off a half or something stupid <laughs> like that. Seriously, that's like the most ridiculous idea ever. Um, all right, no. Um, uh, Nick, well, let, let's come to you first, Nick. Uh, there's a row brewing between the English Football League and the Premier League. Obviously, money's tight. Now, I understand the Premier League transfers £400 million a year to the Football League. Of that £400 million, uh, £260 million goes to just nine clubs. Those are the nine clubs that have been relegated in the top flight uh, over the preceding three seasons. They received their parachute payments. Now, the chairman of the EFL have come out and said it is a rotten thing because if you work it out, I think other clubs get something like £4.6 million as opposed to a share of the £260 million. It's unfair. Do you think parachute payments should, should be abolished? Why, why? I know this is a long-standing problem. You know, it's been talked about in the past, but uh, suddenly it's come to the forefront and uh, now clubs are demanding equal payment. But you have to understand the cost of qualifying to the premiership, the cost of relegation is massive. You know, for a club to qualify to the premiership, that entails a few hundred million. So is the cost of relegation. And what the Premier League has done, credit to them, is soften the blow of these clubs over uh, a certain number of years. Now, for them to uh, sort of uh, relinquish this and uh, give equal breakdown for every club, I do not think it's fair at all. What, what happens to the club that have worked their butts off, you know, to qualify for the Champions League or, or even, you know, uh, coming down to the championship? You know, it's, it is the most lucrative uh, league in the world. And um, I think due payment is due to these clubs uh, just for the sake of their sacrifice and their efforts. Um, and there is also another suggestion. I think it was Peter Bro chairman who is in League One, um, who has suggested uh, to the EFL chairman 
uh, and said that um, they would fund for private investors and pay the EFL alone over a staggered uh, month, uh, which amounts to 8% uh, uh, over a, a monthly period. And I think that's absolutely fair, uh, rather than to just uh, segregate uh, the amount of payments equally to all the clubs. Okay, let's go to Bob here. Now, now Bob's a, a long-suffering supporter of Nottingham Forest. You're, not, you're a supporter of a club who hasn't received parachute payments. You've had clubs relegated like Sunderland. The parachute payments didn't help them very much, did it, Bob? No. Um, I mean, there has to be some kind of parachute payment um, because it's, it would be catastrophic otherwise if a club who's on Premier League money, playing Premier League wages, yeah. suddenly finds themselves down down there. I mean, they, they would probably go bust if it wasn't for the parachute payment. So that, you know, yeah, there has to be some. But you can see the other side of the coin. Clubs like Forest, who've been in the championship for 10 years, and they've only been getting uh, 4 million, uh, say one tenth of what their rivals are getting. These these clubs who go who go down, who are then vying to go back up the next season, uh, they've got ten times as much money as the clubs that have been in the league all the time. Yeah. So that is also unfair. So I think they've got to strike a better balance. Um, to uh, to make it fairer for the clubs that are down there in the first place, I think that's the that's what Rick Parry was talking about. This is the the chairman of the EFL is is Rick Parry, who Liverpool supporters will know as a former CEO of of Liverpool, who was involved heavily in the um, in the takeover of Hicks and Gillette and and all that. I mean, he's an experienced administrator. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And I think he will, he will really go for a solution. I think the EFL is fortunate to have him, actually, um, at this point in, in time. And uh, let's hope that they can sort this out. Because if they don't, and the risk is greater in the championship, because they need a 75% uh, majority in the vote... And it seems overwhelming that they want to cancel the season, unlike yeah. the Premier League, mm -hmm. where the majority is in favour of continuing. That's a, that's a huge difference. Okay. Um, going to break very quickly. Craig, uh, yes, no answer. Should parachute payments be abolished for the championship clubs? Yes. Nice one. All right, listen, we're talking about the only football that's, been, uh, that, that's on that's worth watching. Yeah, we're talking about the K-League next. Fine save by the goalkeeper, spreading himself. On the ball on BFM 89.9. He cannot win a title without an outstanding goalkeeper, and he's been absolutely brilliant. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Bob Holmes, Nicholas Arnil, and Craig Wilkie in the studio talking about the K-League which is underway already. Let's face it, we're, we're talking to you now. Jongbuk Motors and Suwon Blue Wings have already played. That game kicked off at 6 p.m., but we're not spoiling it for you because you might want to watch the replay or something. Uh, so we won't tell you the score. Instead, we'll talk about how 
Korea have managed to get the league back on. Uh, Nick alluded to it be before. Um, the fact that their, their figures, the testing figures, uh, were astonishing. Fourth uh, of May, it was down to zero, uh, and which is amazing. So this is when, Bob Holmes, you should restart a league when your country has zero new infections. This is when you should talk about starting a league, right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, Europe is a long way from zero infections, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, I mean, God, they're still, they're still in the high hundreds uh, per day, unbelievably. Um, no, Korea, South Korea was um, one of the first, wasn't it, to, to get it. There was a cult uh, that, that had it, and they really clamped down straight away. Europe to shame um, over the handling of it, no question about it. And uh, I, I mean, I sincerely hope this works because uh, not only is it a, a, a sort of forerunner of things to come, but it's in our time zone. We can actually watch it. Uh, it's at a good time of day and they're going to show it. Um, so we will have football uh, at a reasonable time. And uh, so that's, that's really some achievement. And um, I think that if this works, you're going to see it spread. You're, go you're going to see football taking off in leagues all over the shop. Yeah. And, um, you know, that is only going to be a great thing. Absolutely. Just, I wouldn't use the word spread, Bob. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the 12 team, <laughs> okay. the 12 team K League, Craig. Uh, ha, ha, I mean, no complacency over restarting the, or, or rather starting the new season. 12 team league has already reduced the number of games from 38 to 27. As long as they complete 22 fixtures, the season is complete. Post-match interviews going to take place on the pitch, not in a cramped corridor. Reporters have to stay two meters away. So they really are going to be an example for the rest of the world, aren't they, Craig? Yeah, they are. And it, it looks as though they're going about it in a very, very smart way. You know, I'm just, I'm just thinking about how fickle we all are. You know, two weeks ago, we were all signing up for Belarus fan clubs. And now, now we're going to be choosing our K-League teams and then... <laughs> By, by next weekend, we'll all be supporting Borussia Dortmund or whoever it might be. But, but yeah, I think great credit to what the Koreans have done. Again, not only in relation to how they've brought the virus under control. Uh, the other advantage they have, of course, is that, as you mentioned, they're, they're starting a league rather than restarting a league, which I think makes it a little bit easier. But what they've done, it seems to me, is very smart, is that they've, they've cut the number of games that the league is going to consist in for this season. And that actually answers Nick's point from earlier because the reason, one of the reasons why they've done that is because if one of the players was to contract the virus and so the team had to be quarantined, let's say, for a couple of weeks, it buys them that flexibility, it buys them that time within the calendar to hopefully make that happen so that they could actually have a week or two where, one, where a couple of clubs sit out the action while everybody recovers and gets back on with it and then still be able to complete the season by by the end of this year or whenever it is that they're, they're looking at finishing by. So I think it's, it's a very smart approach that they've set out and let's hope it goes really well as it kicks off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good news, Nick, is that Astro Supersport CK proudly told us that he obtained rights for the K-League. Um, 
Jungbook game was, was on live uh, earlier on today. I understand there's one tomorrow as well. I think it's the 3.30 game. The Incheon United against Deju. Daegu. What's going to be, who's going to be your team then, Nick? This is a very interesting season, I think, for the K-League because Gyeongbok are coming into the season as three times champion and they won it last season only because Ulsan Hyundai had slipped up on the final day of the season. And, so, and you know, so on and JDT are doing battle as well. Exactly, yeah. So there is a lot of uh, sentiment and interest from the Malaysian perspective as well, uh, simply because uh, Suwon are in the Asian Champions League and the fact that JDT has beaten uh, Suwon in the Champions League in the uh, opening game. Um, I have to say, uh, again, you know, I have to really commend the Korean League uh, simply because of the measures that they've taken. And also from a marketing and broadcaster standpoint, they have actually streamed the opening matches of the K-League free on YouTube and Twitter. So meaning fans all across the world could tune in and catch uh, all the actions and we have some of the uh, ex-Premier League players like Park Chu Yong and uh, Lee Chun Yong who have played for Crystal Palace and Arsenal. So, you know, there is some sort of popularity on these players and we really hope that it rubs off uh, on the fans as well. We know Astro has secured the, bright, uh, the rights, the broadcasting rights. I know the Australian uh, broadcaster has also uh, uh, secured uh, rights. So, we're going to see a lot of interest uh, on the K-League from an Asian perspective and we hope that, you know, it, it really rubs off on the rest of the world uh, just to get football going once again. Yeah. Uh, Bob, excessive spitting or blowing the nose is prohibited. Players should refrain <laughs> from close conversations with one another. During the game, players who habitually spit or talk closely will be warned by the referee. Sanctions will be taken as well. They're serious. And, and I mean, it's comical that when we, we're describing the rules now. but. They are needed uh, it, it, now in these unprecedented times, aren't they? Well, yes. I think a little discretion has to be applied by the referees. I can't because, see. Because footballers. I mean, who's going to be the first guy to get a red card for spitting? <laughs> uh, you know, that'll go down in the history Duke. books, won't it? El Haji Duf should have got yeah, three red cards. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, to be fair to footballers, you know, the reason. One of the reasons there's so much spitting is because they're all told to take on a lot of water. And, you know, if you take on too much, you're going to get full in the stomach and all that. So what they do is just take a guzzle of the water and then spit it out. It, it refreshes the mouth, but it doesn't fill the stomach because you've got to run around. So that's, that's one of the reasons that they, there's so much spitting. Um, so they'll, you know, they, they run the risk of becoming dehydrated if they're not going to get any water, but that's, that's yet another problem they face. But, um, I think they'll sort it out as long as there's some discretion, um, given by the referees and by everybody, they'll sort it out. And I think that where there's a will, there's a way. I think the overwhelming, uh, sense is let's get this done let's get football back whether yeah. it's in asia or europe and i think with that there'll be one or two problems one or two cases yes but overwhelmingly i think the sentiment is to get this done and i think with that it can be done yeah yeah absolutely uh let's hope with, with individually named water bottles craig 
<laughs> That's going to work. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm laughing looking at all this, but yeah, I mean, everyone's sentiment is let's, let's hope it works. Do you reckon this is the way forward in the future as well? <laughs> well, we'll see how long some of these measures have to stay in place for. I, I said at the start of the show, right, that you had a, a medical and scientific panel on tonight. And I think just listening to Bob was a testament to that there in terms of <laughs> the, the reasons why footballers have to spit and so on. But I think that interestingly in the rules, it said um, they would be penalized for excessive spitting. Yep. So I'm just curious as to what defines excessive spitting and how referees are going. It's going to be, maybe it's going to be a VAR thing. I don't know. It's going to have to go and then they'll, <laughs> we're going to have to look at it again on the, on the video. And VAR. <laughs> We haven't mentioned VAR for months. My goodness. It's beautiful, hasn't it? Yeah. The, the, the Incheon captain, Kim Do-hyop, said no spitting is fine, but it's impossible not to talk to a teammate or to an opponent. <laughs> I think it's the it's other up. way around. It's definitely the other way around. Okay. <laughs> Listen, we're out of time. Uh, let, let's hope it all goes well, Ed, and we're coming to you next Friday in a similarly happy mood. For now, I have to thank Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much, Ross. Good evening, everybody. Thank you to Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody, and stay within safe spitting distance. <laughs> well said, Bob. And bye-bye, uh, Nicholas Arnil. Thanks. Have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, have a great weekend. Speak to you Monday. Uh, stay safe. Bye-bye. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball next Friday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.